gentlemen, boys, and girls, dying times here. That's right, we're talking about the Incredible Hulk, the Antwok Horror, which does not, it sounds like a horror thing, but I promise you, it unfortunately is not on Kill by Kills TV channels. Greetings and salutations, Internet. Your pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Antioch, Utah. Utah. This was supposed to be taking place in. It doesn't look like Utah, but it's supposed to be Utah. This is uh, Kill by Kill, where we're usually talking about horror movie characters in the order in which they die, but on our off week, we've decided to explore the vast diaspora of television horror programming in the hopes that an, an a, uh, a tourist untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I am hunting down a green terror, uh, she'll be right there willing to, you know, shoot it for me just cause sure I need the money, but she's willing to shoot it just for fun. the one, the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Excuse you, that's Gina Radcliffe, big game hunter to you. That's true. Huh? My, my apologies. It's how you're listed in the newspaper and then the yellow pages. Uh, Gina, big hunter. Yeah, I, I've got a repu- I've got I've got a reputation to uphold. Well, I, I tell you right now, if I had the ability to walk around with our mention in variety in my breast pocket. I would fucking do it, Gina. I would do it. <laughs> to just pull out this like creased piece of paper. Look what I did. <laughs> yeah. Look what I did. Uh, this is my podcast. That's how important I am. I have a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're trying to get you're trying to get a table at a restaurant. It's like, oh, really? Well, my friend Mr. Variety article says you have a table available for me. <laughs> I don't think you know who you're talking to. One of Variety's top horror podcasts, perhaps. <laughs> or at least half of that show. Not that, you, not that anyone couldn't claim this, uh, because there's not a picture of us on, on the internet. Uh, and we will fucking keep it that way. So um, when it comes to TV terrors, right, we were going to, the goal was to find horror tangentially related episodes of of tv shows in hopes that they would spookify us on off weeks when we're not talking about a movie and i think our first two entries were really horror centric and then the internet failed us by pointing us to the incredible hulk the antiwalk horror which seems to be just a reference to the amityville horror novel and nothing else there's no other horror element of this no and you know i used to love this show when when i was a Mm -hmm. child uh yes it probably has one of the most depressing end theme songs ever (laughs) it's just the bleakest thing where it's literally called the lonely man It's quite often played on a tuba. That's not exactly a happy <laughs> instrument for for theme songs. I mean, when I'm like, is that the tuba they're playing that on? That's that seems odd. But again, this entire episode was just weird because I like you watched this was when I was a child. Like I have 
vague remembrances of it. I must have liked it because I asked for my mom to make me into the Incredible Hulk one year for Halloween, um, which she complained about rightly so for years to come. The amount of uh, green makeup she had to dawn on me, a scrawny, <laughs> wimpy child uh, <laughs> pretending to be the Incredible Hulk. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, I I used to love this thing. And then I was watching, I'm like, oh my God, they just keep talking. They just wander around the room and talk, Gina. Yeah, you get like, and I realized in thinking back that every episode was actually structured like this where you get you know the one hulk out the beginning near the beginning of the episode yeah yeah and then you get the uh, you get the second hulk out at the end of the episode right yeah, and yeah. then it looks like maybe he might kill someone but then he never does because he's no. actually a good guy at heart mm-hmm. and then that he you know has to leave he has to leave town again uh leave town in an entirely new set of shirts and pants which he did not have where is his cat? Where is his cache of shirts and pants that he can always return to in his incredible Hulk uh, form? So that when he reduces back to David's size, he can just change back to when he's like do 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 and wanders back into town fully fucking dressed. Well, that's why he always has to take jobs, you know, all these odd jobs because he has to spend all his money on new clothes. Yeah, yeah. You can't spend money on a hotel when you're spending that much money at Marshall's picking up new sets of shirts and pants with very wide bell bottoms. Um, so let's get into it. Um, <laughs> for what, for whatever there is to get into. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest with you. All the other ones that we've, that we've watched have been very interesting. Like at least there's action going on or it's so odd and weird. It's entertaining. And this was just a fucking slog, unfortunately. You, but the only redemption here is you're going to get to see every kind of Southern California 70s TV location. Um, a shot of smog in the valley cut to large pines as you head towards Big Bear. Those two, that establishing shot and then the, the pine trees, those are nowhere near one another. And we're reintroduced to McGee. He is a... Uh, reporter who is hot on the incredible Hulk trail. He is not a character from the comics, although they have introduced uh, a, a McGee character in the immortal Hulk series. And if you're like, I don't know if I've ever enjoy a, a Hulk comic, I promise you immortal Hulk is the freakiest shit you will ever read in your life. It is the most horrific comic book Marvel has ever produced. Al Ewing is a sick genius. There is body horror in that that you have never seen in your life. It is truly fucking twisted. I I, I would have appreciated something like that here. No, they can't afford that. They can afford to paint Luferig no green twice. And, and, <laughs> and, to, and, and to add like the, add like a Frankenstein uh, appliance to his forehead and give him a beetle wig. He's a tiny uh, little munchkin of a man, which I suppose makes a lot of sense. Like you would never, you know, place him as what turns into Lou Ferrigno. Uh, at one point, the bad, the bad guy of this piece picks him up by a belt and throws him <laughs> down a hill. And I really appreciated that. Well, here's the thing, like, like, 
these, this episode kind of just drops us in the middle of things where where he's just been yeah. living in this town for a while and and you know, a town that only seems to have about six people in it and and he has mm-hmm. you know, befriended this little girl the super smart science loving little girl who has a real do nothing dad and of course um mom died conveniently probably as an escape hatch <laughs> She's the happiest out of everyone in this episode, just by the fact that she's no longer on the mortal play. <laughs> um, but McGee, before we even get to that, McGee is on the trail of Big Green and he runs into an old source named Hendrix, played by what appears to be a time traveling Sam Neill from Jurassic <laughs> World. Uh, his name is Buck and he's grizzled as fuck, Gina. And um, <laughs> McGee's like, I can't have you working on this. You have a tendency to shoot people, and that's not good for my stories. And he's like, I'll find this basic for you. Don't worry. Uh, I w- I'll only shoot it a little. And he's like, don't. I can't pay you, all right? I'll pay you to go away, but I will not pay you to be on the trail of the Incredible Hulk. You're going to be very, very bad at this. You're either going to get yourself killed or me killed. Please go away. And he's like, Oh, that's all I needed to hear. I'm going to sneak around town and shoot anything that's giant and green. And that's exactly what he does. So then we cut to a small town called Courthouse Square on the Universal Backlot. That's right, baby. It's (laughs) 70s Universal Backlot time. It's time for my superpower to activate. Oh, I don't turn green and become super strong. I can just recognize every part of the Universal Backlot, baby. And this is Courthouse Square in the 70s before they've cut down the trees uh, to make a Courthouse Square for the Back to the Future movies. So there's a lot of greenery that is no longer there. And they have not painted Courthouse Square. It's usual mauve and pink with white uh, pillars. The pillars are still there, but uh, you might not recognize it otherwise. Uh, but they're actually uh, along the Boston side of the streets, which, again, doesn't really scream Utah to me. Yeah. Currently, um, this town is in disrepair mode i mean i thought i was uh uh, watching the prophecy for half a second it was in such disrepair there's a there's a lot of cans on the ground there's a lot of loose trash and then this little girl goes into a store which also seems to be filled with loose trash what do they sell in this store? Yeah, it's a store that does not. I, I am unclear as it's it sells beer, but also mm-hmm. fishing warm supplies. <laughs> right, it, the warm beer is located right next to loose rifles and life jackets. <laughs> it's uh, it's not how I would organize a store. I mean, there's a, there are, there are general there are general stores and there are general stores it's generally a garbage store i think is what it comes down to it because when in terms of what they have for sale it appears to be garbage can lids pickled eggs toilet paper rolls loose rifles and life jackets and the beer is not placed in a refrigerator it's just hanging loose it's a loose sixer in which you can just grab one if you want and pop it and it's (laughs) it's one of those pull tabs it's (laughs) <laughs> oh, I had nightmares looking at this place. Yeah, and this is where uh, this is where um, David Banner has dropped in and gotten himself a little jobby job for for you know yes. p- apparently thirty seven cents a week. 
uh, for room and board and all the sweeping leavings he can consume, I guess. And, and all the and all these squirt and all the scornful glares his employer can 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 provide. Well, he appears to be educated, and as we all know, educated people are to be feared and mocked and scorned. Uh, if they're there uh, sweeping things up, something must be wrong with them. Uh, we learned from this little blonde girl's drinking, uh, beer drinking father and his ne'er do well friend that Antioch is on its last legs. It's kind of a ski resort town and a lake town that can't seem to attract tourists. Everyone else is going to Sundance or they're going to the ski slopes in, in, uh, in Colorado. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess it, this is not ski season. So I'm not entirely sure why they're so like, no one's coming to ski here. There's not an inch of snow on the fucking ground. Why would anyone come to ski here right now? Yeah, it would seem to be that their their primary issue is they should find you know a a a a, a an event that would bring tourists there when it's not actually ski season. Right. Yeah. So they they have an idea, and that is they're going to frighten this town to death, a town located on the set of Beretta. Um, that they're going to. Uh, they they need to do something that will attract everyone's attention. Now, they don't get this idea right away. That's where David Banner comes into play. Because as David is told to clean up various things, he uh, carelessly pulls a board out of a, I don't know, a disused stock room. Why have they boarded up boxes? Why is there an oxygen tank? <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. In the back of this this shabby general store. Yeah, what? Because he has like a maybe it's a helium thing, and he blows up balloons for parties. I don't understand why he has these massive gas tanks, but he does. So he's like, uh, I don't trust you. Um, you're talking to my daughter like she's a human being and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so Banner manages to cut his hand twice, have an oxygen tank fall on his foot and then stumble into a, a pile of pirates rum barrels. By the <laughs> I, I remember on the internet and, a while back, I found a wonderful list of every single way that, David Banner hurt himself that that was, that resulted in him turning into the Hulk because ninety percent of the time he usually turns into a Hulk because he has hurt himself in some way. Yes, like he, he's he, clumsy. He, he falls down a hill or or you know he's trying to change a tire and like you know the the jack slips in his hand or something, <laughs> which I suppose is like on tap for him in a way because. The reason he's the Incredible Hulk is an accident. So, yeah, he's not the smoothest operator in the world, but this is like really chintzy. And he falls into this pile of fucking, yeah, pirates rum barrels that's only absent a, a Donkey Kong. And he jumps up out of it. So here comes Lou Figs. Uh, and he's constantly trying to make this incredible Hulk look intimidating. So there's a lot of grimacing and and that's not coming from like flexing. There's a little flexing. Yeah. There's a lot of flexing. There's a lot of like uh, peck work going on. (laughs) 
And he's, he's, doing, he's, he's doing a little bit of that, you know, watch, the, watch the lady, watch the tattooed lady dance kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. And he's just like, and um, he gets locked in this room, which of course does not go well because he throws one of those tanks out the ceiling and then bursts through the door, damaging the store that he's working at. Um, how no one thinks that creature was David Banner and he's turned into it. No one ever puts that together is a little weird because he was kind of locked in that fucking room, but whatever. I'm not going to try to fucking gatekeep a God knows how long ago this was met 45 years ago, uh television show. Um, but part of what I find odd about Lou Ferrigno's interpretation of the Hulk is that he's filmed in slow motion to make it look heavy, but he's also kind of prancing a little. <laughs> and it looks like, it looks like a slowed down version of Bluto in stealth mode. It's not what I would call intimidating necessarily in on a movement basis level. No, it, it always, you know, it always seems like, you know, other people are added into the scene as an afterthought. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, kind of like when, 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 uh, uh, you know, animal attack movies, they'll, they'll, they'll film it in a way that like, the 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 animal and the and a human the human actors are never on screen at the same time. Exactly, they're they're filming Lou Ferrigno behind a glass wall or something like that. Exactly, uh, uh, it just doesn't come off scary or cool. Uh, it it I certainly thought it was cool when I was a child. Uh, not so much uh, anymore. <laughs> so he runs away, and in the aftermath, somebody. He then eventually walks back into view right across Courthouse Square. And he asks Sam, the little blonde girl who has a perchance for science, uh, was there much damage to the store? <laughs> you know, that collection of garbage that I somehow make money working at. And she goes, yes, a lot. <laughs> She's pretty chill Which about it, even though it's like put- it, it's like her family, it, like it's her father's business. She's just like, eh, yeah, there's a lot. Harlan's like, hey. What she he pulls aside the sheriff and the mayor slash newspaper owner of Antioch. He goes, "What we need to do is is publicize this monster, because if we tell people that the town has a runaway beast in it, tourists will come." And someone says, "Yeah, weirdos." And he goes, "Weirdos with money. Who are these weirdos with money?" Yeah, like this this is a now, real this is a real you know, equals dollar sign dollar sign dollar sign situation here. Yes, yes, and yet he is kind of proven right because the next night a fucking traveling fair has lit right into the middle of Courthouse Square. Um, this is when I noticed that the creepy noises that the soundtrack is put in here are seventies Tom Tom and the boy sort of grass harp noise. <laughs> that's not scary. No, when you, you that's not uh, what I would call scary. But for whatever reason, the seventies seemed to believe this was a a supremely frightening sound. <laughs> well, would they be dumb enough to fall for a a guy 
very obviously with brown makeup smeared in his face going around going rah. Yeah, this is a very um, incomplete costume, let's say. Because when Harlan, first off, Harlan disappears and his drinking buddy comes back and said, oh, the monster attacked us and and Harlan, you know, had to hide, but we'll find him. Uh, And and then he's like, his daughter, Sam, he's like, don't worry, don't worry, we're going to, we're going to find your dad again. He's just missing because a monster mind was trying to eat him, you know, (laughs) like it's a regular Friday night. I'm sure your dad will figure a way out of this. He's almost certainly Um, not stuck in a a ravine with a shattered leg. (laughs) And that I left him there. So we have this local fair that's popped up uh, and there's a bit of ADR as a woman goes after her loose dog. (laughs) I really enjoy it because it's that voice is definitely not coming out of her where she says, there you are, you naughty little dog. Like she's about to eat it. Is she about to eat that dog, Gina? Well, you know, that, that that carnival just set up, so they're probably not ready to serve, you know, the corn dogs and the deep fried Oreos yet. Right. Right. Instead of a turkey leg, maybe it's time that dog become hot, is what you're saying. Exactly. So in typical killer beast fashion, this quote unquote creature walks slowly towards the fair. This this is not a fast walk. This puts Michael Myers to shame in terms of walking briskly. This is a a shuffle that might mean that Harlan is chafing in the areas where he's glued hair onto his butt. That's the impression <laughs> it's giving. Well, the, the, the funny thing is, is that uh, n- numerous descriptions of of this this episode describe what Harlan is doing as quote being a Bigfoot impersonator. Mm. I Bigfoot mm. Bigfoot does not wear clothes. Bigfoot does not wear clothes. That that he, is he a big sees, sign he, that you're not dealing he, with a Bigfoot. He kind of seems more like a like a, a a Halloween werewolf. Here's the other issue with if he's a lycanthrope. I'm more akin to believe that. But he doesn't have werewolf teeth, which I think is necessary. And the other thing is his makeup stops at his neck. Yeah. And if I'm trying to determine whether or not a werewolf or a Bigfoot is real, I would say I doubt that his hair or skin tone stops just below his Adam's apple. But Harlan <laughs> is not one for details. Yeah, I, I he, he thinks that these people are at least as stupid as you do. I, I, if the audience is thinking this is a hoax perpetuated by two local yokels, well, you're right. But he's also able to turn over a sheriff's vehicle with his bare hands. And when we get to that explanation, I was thrilled because they actually took the time to tell us how he flipped over a fucking sheriff's vehicle with his bare wolf hands. <laughs> Of course, uh, Universal Studios was famous for your ability to push over a van. Um, it was a series of weights that were counter-levered to what eventually became the 18 van. Um, and you would be able to lift it 
like the bionic man or, or the $6 million man or the bionic woman. Um, here later, he explains that he's connected pneumatic tubes to the bottom of the sheriff's car, but who collected the pneumatic tubes after the stunt was performed is my question to you, Gina. I mean, I assumed it was his friend. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. They don't seem one for for communication. Like oftentimes when they were talking, I was like, you know, you two would get along a lot better if you maybe just kissed and got it over with because there's a lot of sexual tension between the two of them. Well, particularly with the the friend character, they can't keep straight Mm -hmm. what they want to do with him as a character. Like when we first introduced him, when we first introduced him, he's being very logical and, and explaining to Harlan that, you know the time that this you the time to get out of town is now because it, it is yeah. failing you know, there's no money to be made and Harlow's like ah I can't let go and you know, like the, the friends being the, the reasonable one and yet when yes, Har- when Harlan a grown man just decides he's gonna you know <laughs> because he's annoyed and 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 despairing about the the state of the town that he's gonna go in and bully his grown man employee. You know, the, 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 uh, the, um, you know, the friend, you know, suddenly is like, Hey, I gotta see what shit you're getting up to now, Harlan. You know, it's like, okay, it's the same guy because he does not seem like the same guy. Yeah. No, it seems like there were two characters smushed together. Cause they're like, we don't have a budget for three people. It's gotta be one guy. So he's both the voice of decency and logic and also a toady. So he's a lot of things to a lot of people and all of them are to Harlan because he doesn't, he almost never talks to anybody else in the entire episode. He almost certainly doesn't talk to his daughter. No, no, that's difficult for him. The most he talks to her is what are you doing at his school? Make me some sandwiches. Well, uh, I'm not a fan. Let's just say this. I'm not a fan. Well, I it is. I, I, I'm going to just, if, I'm going to put the cards on the table and say that this is kind of structured almost like a love triangle a little bit, which is kind of weird mm. because, you know, yeah. it, you know, she's kind of stuck in this nowhere situation with her father who isn't really interested in the things that she enjoys. But David, he listens to her. He encourages yeah. her, you know, much like, you know, mm. someone might do if you're in an unhappy marriage. And and it's 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 a it's a weird it's weird when the uh, one of the corners of this triangle is like ten. Yes, that is weird that she is. Like I, I'm just saying, you a could ten e- year old girl. I, I'm just saying you could easily swap out this character for an adult woman and make her Harlan's wife instead of his daughter, and it would not change the the yeah. tone or tenor of the move of, of the episode. A bit, not not in any appreciable right. way. And I'm sure some network person was like, no, 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 you can't have it be a wife because you don't want David Banner to appear to be getting in between a man and a wife's marriage. So make it a child and then all the weirdness will go away. And it's like, <laughs> no, no. The the opposite effect has happened. Like I, I totally sir, by the end of the episode, when she like tracks him down on the highway. I, I totally expected yeah. her to be like, take me with you. 
she's trying. She's trying to keep him there to, you know, maybe keep him locked into that dead end job until she turns 18 or something like that. <laughs> it's a very, very uh, yeah. There's a, a, a flowers in the attic feel to what's going on here. But um, the sheriff, uh, his posse, the mayor, McGee, they all hear the roaring of this monster um, uh, from the town fair, but they're cut. But the the monster is cut off by Cryptid Hunter X uh, Buck, and he pulls in front of this monster who goes like, "Burr, burr, oh fuck it," and runs the other way, and. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to shoot you. And the and Harlan reaches in to kind of, I don't know, scratch at him. It's just not giving me monster vibes. This is very ineffectual. And so once he's swatted at him a couple times and obviously not clawed him to death, he runs off in another direction and Buck gets out and raises the rifle, the loose rifle that he's always carrying with him. And whoopsie doodle, he forgot to load it. Not, not a very good big game hunter. No, he's not a good big game hunter. And that appears to be part of the problem with making him a viable threat here. He's not a threat. I would say the sheriff is a bit more of a threat because did he tell all of his deputies not to shoot this werewolf man? I don't really fucking get it. It's very odd. Yeah. It's interesting that among the things that uh, Harlan and his buddy did not consider with this, uh, this, this, uh, the scam was, well, what if somebody tries to shoot it? Yeah. Like that just never, that never like, that never seems to like uh, come to them as a, a viable possibility. I don't know where you're getting this idea, Gina, because we certainly don't have a problem in this country where authority figures who possess firearms shoot willy nilly uh, darker people. Uh, not all of them covered in fur, but occasionally you got a, a Bigfoot looking werewolf man. Uh, seems to me he would have been shot dead in like five seconds. But for whatever reason, everyone's showing a lot of restraint, perhaps because he has a very white man's neck. I'm not sure what <laughs> saves him in the end. But Buck, the next morning, helpfully informs Sam, this little girl, that he'll kill the horror in her father's name. We're setting up for our fifth act here. So all of our players are coming together. Uh, and it turns out that Sam has known that her father, Harlan, has been pretending to be the Antioch Horror. And she knows where he's been hanging out, which is the uh, mountain, the cloud mountain, uh, which does not seem to be filled with clouds. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, and David's like, well, where is it? And she goes, take this trail straight up. And then, yeah, that's the mountain. And part of me was like, is she, is she leading him in the wrong direction? The answer is no. She's actually pointed him in the right direction and has decided to simply follow them up, which to me is just like, just aim David in the wrong direction. And then none of this would happen, but okay, whatever. I obviously was am not smart enough to be writing, um, television in the seven. Um, so yeah, 
so we've got Brad and Buck and David and Sam and the sheriff and McGee and the mayor and some local reporters. It's a lot of people on one trail. Then David makes his way up to the top and he trips over this log roll that happens and he dives out of the way. And Harlan's like, it took me a long time to set up that trap. And he's like, why? Why are you doing this? They're coming up here with guns, you dum-dum. They're going to shoot you. And he's like, I can take care of myself. And he's like, nope, you need to shut this down now. And that's when Harlan picks up Bill Bixby by his giant belt buckle (laughs) and throws him down a hill. Just throws him like a sack of laundry. A sack of laundry wouldn't have made it that far. He really goes a fair distance. He bowls him for a real strike. Um, Unfortunately, not into a a pile of pirates rum barrels, but that's the only thing missing. So, of course, he wouldn't like him when he's angry. So getting tossed down a hill immediately is a code green. Um, So... That's when we start to hear the Lou Ferrigno, which is kind of kind of sounds like some. It kind of sounds like someone's stomach growling. Honestly, yes, it is not uh, scary or cool. Um, it, I know that in this, you know, we're we're not going to have a talking Hulk or anything like that, but. <laughs> The 80 yard, which sounds the same every time. Like they recorded once with Mel Blank and they're like, we can't afford you. This is it. We'll call you in once a year and do all the growls. And then we'll just pick from that library. Here's a happy growl. And here's a quizzical growl. Um, and they just like have it in a sound library and loop it over and over and over again. So then we have a confrontation in which Harlan should be dead. Like Harlan should be, have a hole punched through his chest. Yeah. I mean, the Hulk literally, the, literally splits a boulder in half. You just, yeah. I'm like, is he, is he going to punch that boulder? And then I was so happy when he actually did. I'm like, Oh my God, look at all that styrofoam they spent money on. That's great. <laughs> like we got something out of it. Um, But all, the other part uh, that, makes the incredible Hulk not quite as scary that I didn't notice until this time, as I've not watched this show in nearly 40 years is that when he starts changing into the Hulk, he sounds like a, he sounds like a Tesla backing up. No, I, I, I definitely remember that noise. Cause that was like the only part that's cool. <laughs> that, and a good, yeah. That, 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 that's the only part that's cool when he like, he still looks like human, but he's got the green, he's got the green eyes. Yeah, but it does kind of sound like a Prius trying to back into a parking (laughs) spot. Uh, And so they are about to fight. But honestly, with the assigned of a couple forearm knocks, like the Incredible Hulk never really rocks somebody's face. Like he can't actually harm, actively harm people. He can kind of like knock to them to the ground or throw them a little no, he but like he he, he at worst actually, at worst he'll give him like a wedgie throw where he like picks them up by the back of their pants and right. then just kind of like you know flings them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people flinging uh, happening here, and so in the middle of this fight, uh, Sam is knocked over and she nearly falls off a cliff. 
she's holding on to the sheer rock face and a single growing pine tree. And for whatever reason, Harlan is unable to actually reach out to her. It seems like a very simple thing to do because there's a lot of flat surface before where your child is hanging off of a cliffside. And he's kind of like, I can't reach her. Crawl closer, motherfucker. That is your child. <laughs> and so finally, the Incredible Hulk is like, uh, I'm sick of this reach my for my stick shit. And he grabbed Harlan's feet and just like shoves him towards his own child. Like, do something, you asshole. And finally, he's, you know, Sam is able to grasp onto Harlan's hands and the Hulk pulls them up, looks at them pensively and is like, and runs away in slow motion leaping he doesn't have a high vertical uh lou ferrigno <laughs> no that's okay he's a very he's a very muscly man but i wouldn't say he's got hops so when he tries to leap away it's it's a he's very close to the ground but then again he doesn't have shoes on so maybe it hurts his tootsies <laughs> if you're wondering yes buck uh, the savage monster hunter fuck uh does shoot the hulk in the shoulder which somehow penetrates his shoulder which again bullets don't hurt the hulk that's what makes him the hulk and but no he's kind of got a hurts shoulder that's kind of bleeding like he doesn't let him stop him from anything but it's kind of like a diehard injury where he's like oh ouch but it doesn't stop him from being heroic. and it all and also when uh, when he when he turns back to to david there's does not seem to be any indication that he is still wounded no his hulk form seems to uh heal him uh pretty much like that is part of the hulk thing like whatever damage he takes is kind of erased by turning into this Hulk creature. So there is that. Um, but Buck is about to have his face caved in, or as I once wrote for Mr. T, I'm going to put my fist in your mouth and make a tooth salad. But for whatever reason, um, I love that line. I love that line. I, mm, I wish that fucking existed that I got Mr. T to say, I'm going to put my fist in your mouth and make a tooth salad, but it is gone, gone, gone for whatever reason. Um, that Fox radio promo. And so he dashes off and everyone sees that the Hulk does not kill Buck. And they're like, I guess he's not that bad of a guy. And McGee's like, come on, come on, everyone. He soups dangerous. And they're like, I don't care. I, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. People came back to our town. Like, we don't fucking care. And McGee's like, God damn it. Oh, my editor's going to kill me. And so that's pretty much it. Sam walks up to David, who's, uh, as, as Gina noted, is completely healed. And it's like, why did you just walk away? And he's like, um, because I got to go. I'm a Hulk and I'm on the run for a murder I didn't commit. And this is when I was like, wait a second, because I haven't seen the pilot in a minute. Is the murder that he didn't commit David Banner? Is he on the run from his own murder? 
I, yeah, I was never quite clear on that. And I, I'm sure it could be looked up somewhere, but yeah, not, I mean, not by me. I refuse. Uh, <laughs> I don't like looking things up. <laughs> I, I mean, it does lead you to believe that he is like attending his own funeral uh, or at least like, yes. you know, visiting his own grave. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, but not, how would you be convicted for your own death? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I, I'm not, like, I'm not 100% sure on that. Not that you mention it because this is a, a blend of a couple TV tropes. One is guy with specialized skill wanders from town to town. You're sort of rifleman, you know, um, sort of Kung Fu sort of setup, but it's also the fugitive. Because he's on the run from, uh, you know, McGee, who is hot on his trail, and he can't let him discover that he's the Hulk. But also, they do make him sound like he's he's going he's going to be convicted of a murder of himself. And I was like, yeah, but the first proof that he didn't murder himself is when he shows up in court and goes, "Hi, I'm David Fucking Banner. Can we be done with this right now?" Yeah, that would seem to be you know the, the best way to wrap all this up. Booyah. Got you, Incredible Hulk, CBS television show from the late 70s. <laughs> you thought you were so cool? Just wait until you met Patrick Hamilton many, many decades later who just fucked up your show hardcore with my intense examination of your plot devices. <laughs> Middle fingers in the air. Pow, 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 pow. <laughs> uh, and so while David and Sam are on the side of the road, uh, doing the weirdest version of Rochambeau I've ever seen, where you swing your hands to and fro before you uh, determine whether or not it's rock, paper, scissors. Have you ever seen that version of it before? No, no. I think we just did the whole like, you know, kind of, kind of like a little bit of a like wrist swinging motion, but not like a whole thing. It's a one, two, three shoot situation. You don't need to swing it back and forth for like your one, two Freddy's coming for you in you. Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. And I don't believe it's a Utah thing. Utah people, uh, let me know. Uh, do some research for me now. Uh, and so a van stops and a middle-aged woman <laughs> leans out the door. And this is what I noticed. That she has two children in her car. One is resting on the van's dashboard yeah the, the, the other the, one is the, sitting the, sideways in a seat none of these children are belted in it's horrifying it's like none she, of these motherfucking the, kids are belted in it's like she's she's, and, she's just kidnapped them and thrown them in the van right it's 1978 and like there are seatbelt laws but people are like i don't i don't i'm not getting in an accident today i don't think i need to, to put my child in a fucking seatbelt don't you remember like sitting in the front seat of the car and like your mom was stopped short. She do that thing where she puts her arm in front of you. Like that's going to yeah. stop you from fleeing yeah. and fleeing through the windshield. Uh, I usually don't do this, but Becky has a very bad habit of, because she'll be, we'll be driving and I'll be driving and I will start to stop for a car that has stopped short on the freeway. And she will put her hand on the dashboard as if she's going to stop the car by her palm energy. <laughs> and I'm like, if we actually hit that car, you would break your fucking arm. Please stop doing that. And she's like, don't tell me this. I know that's bad. You weren't stopping in time. I'm like, I did stop in time. We're not careened into that other car. <laughs> like, you can't really understand my breaking 
thing when you're looking at your phone, which is completely understandable. You are looking at your phone. You're not driving the car. And, but she does not like to hear that. So I'll say that on here. And she does not listen to the podcast unless her <laughs> child is on it. So I think I'm going to get away with it. Uh, and that just about, oh, does it? That just about does it. Uh, then we get the mournful bling, 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 as he walks around a lonely road um, to a yet another dead end job where he'll he'll meet another group of fragile men who will want to beat him up. Um, any other notes you have for the Incredible Hulk, the Antioch horror? I was really disappointed at how just boring this episode was. And, and like yeah. I said before, it, it it does now that I think about it, you know, you fit the structure of every other episode where you have, you know, the Hulk out at the beginning, the Hulk out at the end, and then a whole lot of people talking. You've got, you know, he goes from small mm-hmm. town to small town where like, you know, everybody, all the men he encounters are like threatened by the fact that he's college educated and, and, yeah, there's always mm-hmm. some some bully that he has to confront. And it's like, mm, Dave, if you consider maybe just sticking to the cities, maybe you might do a little better there. Yeah. I, yeah. But I guess his thing is like, well, if I take the Hulk to a city, I could damage more people when I'm eventually beaten up. But um, also the Hulk does not seem to rock that many people. Um, that's the other capacity. We can't afford the Hulk to punch somebody's face in, uh, which I would love to see. But it does not happen here. Uh, so that just about does it um, for this episode of Kill by Kill TV Terrors. Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at thespool.net. I am on Twitter under Gina Does Things and uh, Instagram as well. And I have a Substack. Visit my Substack. It's ginawatchesthings.substack.com. Do it today, people. We also have a Substack. It's Kill by Kill on Substack. Uh, and every once in a while, we write an article about what we've been watching. Uh, the last one was about uh, the Amityville horror, not the Antioch horror. I'm not entirely sure what I would write about in terms of the Incredible Hulk, but let's see if I can make it happen. If I'm not busy writing something else for a lot more money, um, you know, we're on the socials. We have a Patreon and uh, congrats to us. We have passed the century mark on Patreon. We have more than a hundred uh, patrons uh, for our Patreon, which is incredible. Uh, a real honor that people trust us with their money to keep this podcast free for everyone else to listen to. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, we do. And uh, don't worry, folks. The body count will continue next week is Friday the 13th. And speaking of Patreon, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm going to release our commentary on Friday the 13th. We've never released a commentary before. We did the entire Halloween franchise. But there's only one Friday the 13th all year long. And we, we... we don't have anything new to say about uh, Friday the 13th in an individual episode, but I do think our commentary of the first uh, Friday the 13th is a lot of fun to listen to. So you can watch the movie on Friday the 13th with our voices in your ears. It's really easy to do and a lot of fun too. Uh, But until then for myself and for Gina, bye-bye everybody. Bye. Bye.